see you. Now, question. Has anybody had a curry recently? Yeah, okay. So, Isaac, what did you have? Uh, Korma. Korma. It's been pretty mild. <laughs> pretty mild. Yeah. Right, a Polish Korma. So, that's good. That's right, and tell me about that later. Did you, what did you have, Vicky? Did you stick your hand up? What did you have? Right. A John Curry. What about you, Freddie? Um, it was a lamb curry, I think. Wow. Could be Fairly spicy. I'm not sure. And Luke, yeah. Uh, garlic. Oh. Wow. Okay, one more, yeah. Uh, Nelly Gray Special. Wow. Is that? With a fried egg on the top. With any, that's, <laughs> that doesn't. I think if it's got a fried egg on the top, it's definitely a special, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Friday night, in our family, Friday night is curry night, but it's usually a kind of compromise between heat and spice and not so much heat and spice. Um, my wife prefers the not so much. I prefer to go, so we have to compromise. But anyway, that's, that's marriage, I guess, isn't it? So, the Bible. We're looking at the Bible at the moment, and we are... Thinking of Bible, well, the Bible is God's, you might say that the Bible is God's love letter to us, although strictly speaking, as Will was saying last week, it's, it's um, God's love letter for us. It's not written directly to us because it's written via various people. And we're, um, we're looking at a, a series at the moment, we're just in a series, this is the second one, on Bible books that we can easily miss, and we're calling it Scripture You Skip Over, and today is Jude. We're looking at the book of Jude. Um, Jude is actually, it is a letter. It's a letter within the bigger kind of figurative Bible letter. Jude is an actual real letter. It was a kind of circular letter, we think, written to a number of churches, uh, churches in the early history of the church, sort of early second century. Um, not a specific church. And the key the thing for us I reckon is, and I do believe, the key idea or message for Redland, I'm just putting this out there at the very beginning, uh, for Redland from Jude, for us today, is, is this. What you believe about Jesus matters. What you believe about Jesus matters. So really, that's the important thing that I want us all to, to take away. Because the thing is, some choices in life, probably many choices in life, are down to personal preference, and they don't actually matter in the end. So, curries. Penny, my wife, would go for a chicken korma because she doesn't like it to be too hot and spicy. I would tend to go for a, for a madras or something like that. Or should you call that a chennai these days? I don't know. It doesn't sound right, does it? I go for something hot and spicy. It doesn't matter. We can make our own choices when it comes to curries. But what you believe about Jesus really does matter. And related to that, I mean, we're all at liberty to decide what we, believe, what we believe about God and Jesus. And praise God that we live in a relatively free society in this country. But that doesn't mean that every belief about Jesus is equally valid or, or even correct, just because we have the freedom to believe different things. And this letter, Jude, is saying that what we believe about Jesus has consequences, and that if we're unthought out about what we believe, then maybe we're on shaky foundations. 
So who has read Jude? Put your hand up if you've read Jude. Oh, there's a few keenies. That's really very impressive. Okay, and of course, Jude here, I, I should say, if you haven't read Jude, it's got nothing to do with a Beatles song or an A-list Hollywood male actor. If indeed he still is on the A-list, I'm not sure. Um, many of us would probably struggle to know where it was. It's slightly confusing because it's called Jude, but it doesn't, in this case, mean that it's written to someone called Jude. You know, some of the, some of the letters in the New Testament, say, Timothy, are written to a person called Timothy. But in this case, it's called Jude because it's written by someone called Jude. So there's that confusion to clear up. Where is it? Well, it's the penultimate book in the Bible. What's the last book in the Bible? Revelation. You all know that, don't you? You now know that Jude is the one before that. And you'll always remember that, won't you now? Jude is the book before Revelation. So it's a fairly short letter, but it's still too long for me to read all of it. Actually, it's a pretty wild letter. Some of the things that he says in that letter are just blew my mind. But I'm going to do the first section, because that's the important bit. So I'm going to read just the first four verses from it. And he says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They're ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. So that's what we're going to look at, that opening section. In fact, just the second two verses there. And the thing is, the letters in the New Testament, they're often written because there was some great big issue going on that needed to be addressed. Um, and there seems to be a bit of a crisis here in some of these early churches. And Jude is writing this circular letter to, to help put things right. And it's kind of like an important statement of belief that he's sort of put up on his home page about who Jesus is. And that's what he's doing. The intriguing thing is that he'd originally wanted to write something completely different, which he tells us. He wanted to write something about the salvation that all Christians share. And that was, um, he says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. So he was... Most people think he was going to write a kind of comprehensive essay on salvation and Christianity, what Christians believe. And it's a real shame he didn't write that. That would have been really interesting and really helpful, I expect. But he changed his mind because he felt it was much more important to write about something else. Because um, he realized that the priority was to tackle some false belief that was going around which was undermining the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. He puts aside his original plan and writes about some people who are causing problems 
by contradicting the clear gospel message about Jesus, and that was in the last verse. For certain individuals, he writes, whose condemnation was written about long ago, have secretly slipped in among you, and they're ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality, and they deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. So what you believe about Jesus matters. Some people are spreading lies about Jesus, and Jesus, uh, Jude is kind of putting it out here that this sort of thing is going on. It needs to be called out. And that, that verse I just read kind of breaks down into four things that he's saying. So the first thing is that these, these disruptive people have secretly gained admission into the church. So rather than, if you think of the church as being like a sheepfold, rather than coming in through the gate in the kind of open way with the shepherd, they've kind of come in, slipped in over the walls or around the back, like, more like wolves would. That's the first thing. They've kind of secretly gained admission to the church. They've crept in, and they're more like wolves than sheep. The second is that they're ungodly, which leads to what Jude calls immoral behavior. And it's not just a picture of inward impurity that he's referring to here, but it's, it's kind of lust. It includes lust and all sorts of bad things. But more than that, it means kind of acting on that lust. It means, in the original language, kind of unrestrained vice. So they've slipped in. They're more like wolves than sheep. And they're doing immoral things. And then they pervert the grace of God. Now, this, the grace that Jude is talking about is kind of synonymous with the gospel. He's kind of meaning the gospel of our God because grace, grace is, if you think about it, is the distinctive element at the heart of Christianity because it's the, it's the kindness, if you like, that moves God to offer us forgiveness and salvation and that comes through Jesus and through grace, God accepts people who are unacceptable. Grace is something we can't earn. It's a gift and these are all Core ideas, grace is a sort of core thing right at the heart of Christianity. And these people are perverting that grace because they act as though God's forgiveness and grace means that they can do whatever they want, whatever sinful thing they fancy doing. And it's a theme, actually that's a theme that comes up in various other places in the New Testament. It's a kind of warped idea that if forgiveness and healing and grace is free, by definition, you can go on doing wrong things as much as you want because you're going to be forgiven in the end anyway. And that's, that's bad thinking. Don't get into that way of thinking. That's bad thinking. Wrong things are wrong things. And finally, they deny that Jesus is our only King and Lord. There's a kind of logic to what Jude is saying here because He's kind of implying that this perversion of the grace of our God into immoral behavior stems from denying that Jesus is the only king and God. Because if you think about it, if you do acknowledge that Jesus is your king and your Lord and your master, you'll believe his teaching, won't you? It's kind of logical. One thing follows from the next. And then if you believe his teaching, you're going to want to be obedient to what he says. But if you don't believe who he says he is, 
Why would you obey him? I mean, that would be illogical. And it would be hollow and futile. So, as an example, let's say you have some pain in your knee after overdoing the exercise, or maybe you've been overdoing the trending TikTok dance. And you decide to go and see a consultant who specializes in how knees work and why they go wrong. And the consultant has some fancy-headed paper that tells you what authority this consultant has to deal with knees. You either believe their headed paper that says what qualifications they have, or you don't believe it. And if you do believe it, logically, then you'll believe what they say about, they say about your knee pain, what they say the reason might be. And then it makes sense to follow their recommendations for getting your knee to be better. But these people don't acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, and they don't believe in his authority, and they don't obey him. Lies behind all of this. Well, there is um, there's a thing which was kind of growing in Jude's time, a big issue um, lying behind his letter. It's a false belief which was appearing about Jesus called, this is a funny word, docetism. And basically, this meant they didn't believe in Jesus' humanity. You, you might not have come across this before, but these people didn't believe in Jesus' humanity they felt that God could never get dirty and sort of come down into the world, into the earth. Docetism is from the Greek word which means to seem like something. So they thought that the truly divine Christ was only seemingly present in the person of Jesus who walked the earth. And he certainly wouldn't have suffered or died on a cross. That's what they believed. And the man called Jesus who walked the earth was just an ordinary man. They believed in a God, but they believed in a kind of distant God, a spirit God, untainted by earthy, physical stuff. So right from the beginning, they were trying to water down who Jesus was and is, and they didn't want to worship him as a consequence. And that belief in a remote God of spirit tended to lead in two different directions. One possibility that it led to was thing called, you know, ascetism, which is a kind of life of abstinence and physical and denial of physical pleasures. And ascetics, you know, we have ascetics around us even today. You know, it's very much alive today. And these are people who have a kind of frugal lifestyle. And they might spend time fasting or something like that so that they can reflect on spiritual things and become more spiritually mature and deep. But the other, the other extreme that this denial of the kind of earthly side to Jesus, that God would come into the world, was a complete indulgence. In many ways, the exact opposite. Um, the, the complete indulgence of the, of the body. So it didn't matter in the end what you did with your body. You could eat as much as you wanted. You could get drunk whenever you wanted. You could sleep around if that's what you wanted to do. And this denied that Jesus had been, say, at a wedding where he turned water into wine, that Jesus, the person, ate with people on loads of occasions, that he drank water with a woman at a well, but saw profoundly into who she was and what life had been, that he washed his disciples' feet 
the night before he was arrested and crucified. The list goes on and on and on. In fact, the miracles, you know, the supernatural things that Jesus did were more often than not really earthy, kind of physical, messy things. Jude knew, Jude who's writing this letter, Jude knew that God in Jesus had to come to earth and be fully human, just like every one of us, for salvation to be possible. It just had to be like that. Jesus had to know perfectly what being human was like. He had to understand it. He couldn't be remote and distant. He had to be tempted in every way, just like us. And he was tempted. But, of course, unlike us, he didn't give in to the temptation. Jesus had to pass the test, which he did, so that he could redeem us. And a non-human, spiritual, remote Jesus of heaven wouldn't have been able to do what, for example, Peter says in the Bible. Peter says, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By Jesus' wounds, we have been healed. Now, the thing is, I haven't met many people. In fact, if I'm honest, I haven't met anybody who says to me something like, personally, I believe that Jesus was supernatural, is supernatural, is God or a God, but all this stuff about him coming to earth as a human is rubbish. I've never met anybody who says that. That's because in our age, we tend to have the opposite problem about who Jesus is, because we're prepared to believe that he really existed in history as a person, and was this amazing person and a teacher, you know, uniquely full of wisdom and compassion. But God? That's the problem that we have these days, believing that this great teacher was God. Jude believed that Jesus was fully man and fully God. And if you take away either of those two sides, the gospel falls apart. Jesus took our punishment and died in our place so that we could be brought into new relationship with God. And for that to work, he had to be the God of power and love who takes the initiative in bringing us back. And yet he also had to be human to experience life as we do with all the temptations and yet not succumb, someone who can suffer and die. And we sang earlier on, do you remember we were singing a few minutes ago, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I'm a child of God. And that brilliantly describes the journey that we've all been on from being in a kind of slavery to sin and to fear to becoming a child. And there's a, there's a kind of binary difference between being a slave and being a child. Because if you're a slave, you don't have freedom, you don't really have a place. When you're a child, it's a picture of being in a family and having your place and being loved by your father and by your parents and having siblings. And that's the journey we've been on in Jesus, from being slaves to fear to being children. And we were singing that earlier on. None of that would be possible without a Jesus who is both man and God. And that's what Jude is trying to tell these early churches because that's what the Gospels are all about. So what Jude is saying 
is in line with the good news of the Gospels. So we come back to what I said at the beginning. This letter is saying that what we believe about Jesus has consequences. That if we're unthought out about that, we're on shaky foundations about what we really can believe with assurance about our futures, where we're going. And it doesn't matter whether we're into docetism, which is probably unlikely, I might be wrong, maybe a few of you here. And, you know, if we're that, we're thinking like they did in the early, early centuries, or whether, more likely, we're modern or postmodern, or we go for trans-postmodernism, which is a thing, or metamodernism, which is also a thing, or even liquid modernity, which is apparently a thing as well now. Whether we go for any of those things, we can't sit on the fence when it comes to Jesus, because Jesus says that we've got to make up our minds about who he was and who he is. So, what do you think about Jesus? That's the question. What do you think about Jesus? Do you think he was the good teacher, the wise man, but in the end, just a man? In which case, you must think that all the songs we were singing earlier are just weird and sad. Are you a bit tepid about who he is? A bit lukewarm? Unsure what to think about him? Or can you say with good old doubting Thomas, my Lord and my God? And can you walk into Jesus' presence and say that with confidence? So we're going to pray about that for a moment. And uh, because I think it's just good for us all to take stock and ask ourselves that question. Who is Jesus to each of us? Just think of those words from, from Jude where he wrote to those who've been called and that's us. We who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Sometimes pinning our colours to the flag can be really scary. You've said in your talk, Stephen, that what we believe about Jesus has consequences, big consequences for our lives, for eternity. This can be scary and overwhelming. God, I just pray for boldness. There are so many questions and thoughts, but God, when we look upon you, would we have no fear? Thank you that you know us so intimately. 
we may not understand all of you, for you are far beyond what we could comprehend. But Jesus, would you give us boldness to declare that you are our Lord and our God.